So the fourth movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is called Ode to Joy, so we figured, let's make our Ode to Joy in this episode. Hi, this is Karen from San Francisco. And this is Alex from Los Angeles, and welcome to Movies That Shaped Us. We are two longtime friends who grew up on opposite ends of the globe with very different backgrounds, but we're both shaped and are still being shaped by the movies we see and love. In each episode, we'll cover a topic around important people, places, events, and moments in our lives, and then explore it through three of our favorite movies. All right, Alex. So you already introduced our topic for the day, mm-hmm. but to officially call it out, it's movies that shaped our feeling of joy. And it's good timing to be talking about joy because it's the holidays and joy is something that's I mean, joy is relevant no matter what time of the year it is, but mm-hmm. especially relevant during the holiday time. So I guess I can kind of talk through a little bit about how I thought about this episode and really what joy means to me. And mm-hmm. and it's an interesting one because we've had episodes on comfort and happiness and things like that. And to me, joy is kind of an amalgamation of all of those things, right? Like it is about happiness. It is about that spirit of bringing people together, Mm -hmm. sharing. But there's also a little note of melancholy as I see it, Mm. you know, Uh, especially in my movies. I like the movies that earn that feeling of joy and the character of the story have to kind of go through a bit of a rite of passage, if you will, to find that because then the landing is sweeter for them, but also for me as a viewer. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I thought about this list. And also movies that have kind of been in my rotation canon for a while because I think there's something about again that feeling of comfort that's something that's familiar to you that I feel like gives the gift of joy more and more the more you watch it because you kind of know you're not really bothered about the story beats you know Mm -hmm. after the 10th or 12th watch if you will because you know what's going to happen right 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 yeah, I think it's interesting to think back like we you mentioned we did an episode already on comfort movies and I feel mm-hmm. like that is a very different thing than joy. Comfort is is for me and those movies were sort of like a warm blanket where it sort of like lulls you into a feeling of of just relaxation and bliss mm-hmm. whereas joy is a very strong emotion where you mm-hmm. do sometimes you cry if if things are very joyous, you get mm-hmm. very energized because things are so do you want to jump up and be like, yeah, you know, making you you cannot help but smile. And mm-hmm. that that is when putting this list together, I was thinking not only about the movies that just every time I watch them, either, you know, I just I can't help but smile and and just feel really good. And sometimes, again, like kind of want to jump out of my seat and just cheer what's going on. But also thinking to, well, why are these movies doing this to me? What are the things in my life that give me joy? What are, what are the things that every time I do them or see them or experience them, I do get that same sense of I can't you can't wipe the smile off my face. Again, sometimes it is so extreme that you cry because you're so happy. Like that to yeah. me is is really what pure joy is. And, and the films that I'm bringing today not only do make me feel joyous whenever I watch them, but do connect back to things that I've realized either through watching these films and analyzing, well, why does this make me smile every time I see mm-hmm. it? Or I have very specific things in my life that every time, you know, they always give me joy. And that's that's what I use these films for to remind me of those things in those times. I agree. Love it. Okay. With that said, should we dive into your number three? My number three movie that shaped my sense of joy is That Thing You Do, exclamation point, from <laughs> 1996. I love when movie titles put put punctuation in there. I guess I should say, That Thing You Do. Is that, I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this is a film uh, written and directed by Tom Hanks, 
starring Tom Hanks, Liv Tyler, Tom Everett Scott, Steve Zahn, and Giovanna Ravisi. The IMDb plot summary, a local Pennsylvania band scores a one-hit wonder in 1964 and rides the star-making machinery as long as they can with lots of help from their manager. So this movie, you know, I'll, I'll kind of talk briefly about the different things in this movie that to me give me those those feelings of joy and that I'd love to talk to you about the film and then kind of dive into the film more itself. So uh, for me, this movie, because like the plot summary describes, is about this small band who's sort of a pickup band, the garage band, for lack of a better word, that then all of a sudden has this big success and they they are this one hit wonder and seeing their their success as a group. And that's something to me that definitely brings me joy of, of seeing and sharing in the success of a team that I'm on or an endeavor that I'm doing, whether it's a performance, you know, I was involved a lot in musical groups in, in high school and college. And that sense of when things are coming together and you're going out there and you're really gelling as a group, that definitely does make me have have that sense of joy and that feeling of, of happiness. It's also great too to, to see that just as a other people experiencing it in this film, that joyous moments of like when they first hear their song on the radio or the parents mm-hmm. of one of the band members, they're watching their their kid on television for the first time and just seeing that their their sense of pride in their other people, which is definitely something that can give me a sense of joy. And then, you know, just from a surface level, you know, this movie set in the mid 60s. I really love the mid 60s aesthetic, especially this guitar pop music of the time, you know, like the monkeys and the archies and love and spoonful, the zombies, the Beatles. This is all music that even though I did not grow up in the 60s, I'm, I was way I've not even born yet. I, I grew up with that music through oldie stations, and it does bring me this sense of joy. And this music is so sweet and fun. And and uh, every time I listen to it, it makes uh, makes me happy. And this is something that this movie does a brilliant job, even though this band did not exist and the music was all written for the film, it captures that spirit of that mid-60s guitar pop that always brings me joy. So those are sort of the high-level reasons why this film related to relates to me so much, and every time I watch it, I just cannot stop smiling. So have had you seen this film? And let's talk a little more about the film. Yeah, I would not seen the movie. I obviously know of the song, and I don't know why, for whatever reason, never watched this movie. So hmm. I was very happy to check it out. I know it's Tom Hanks's directorial debut I it think. is yeah, yes. yeah yeah wrote yeah. read screenplay debut too he never yeah. written anything at yeah. this point but the song is i always knew of the song that i the title song so it's fun to check it out i agree with you the 60s vibe gives me a lot of joy to the bright colors and mm-hmm. and the music paired with that is an instant joyous thing so this is very much in my wheelhouse i was really happy to check it out and then i agree i think the movie is the most joyous, but also the works the most when those celebratory moments are happening, when mm-hmm. these characters are, you know, f- feeling a sense of validation or this song is, you know, hits on the radio. That amazing scene when they all run to the electronic store, yes. of the parents of one of the kids, Liv Tyler, everybody like that. I wanted to like jump up from my seat and cheer, you know, yeah. it, it really captures that kind of unadulterated joy so beautifully in 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 obviously Peter's costume and you know all of it like it's amazing mm-hmm. so I really enjoyed the movie in in that sense I will say though and maybe this is because the whole music biopic trope land is so familiar to us now that how this band disintegrates and how the love story between Liv Tyler and Thomas Everett Scott sort of oh, yeah. happens. Like all <laughs> yeah, of those yeah. things are like very messy. There's really no reason for the lead singer to start to drift away. It just mm-hmm. doesn't feel really 
tied up very well together. And then the second thing, which I don't, I'm curious to hear your take on this, but the main lead, the drummer, Thomas Edward Scott, to me feels like is doing a Tom Hanks impression throughout the entire movie. Oh, interesting. And I found that so distracting because I, I just was like, it's almost like Tom Hanks wanted to be in this movie or or this actor just picked up Tom Hanks's mannerisms and just, just did that. And Tom Hanks being the director was like, yep, keep doing that. That's pretty good. So there's something about that that I don't know. I felt found it to be distracting. But other than that, the movie is really fun. The music is really good. And it definitely hits the spot from like a joy standpoint. So I was happy to watch it. That's a fun, I mean, I've seen this movie maybe a half a dozen times. I, I saw it growing up when it, I mean, I've seen this in the theater and I just loved the soundtrack and watched a lot. I've yeah. actually never thought of that before around the Tom Hanks, essentially like an impersonation for lack of a better word. I think, yeah, that he definitely is. He feels like a mid eighties Tom Hanks when he was in all those comedies in, in the mid to late eighties, he's doing a lot yeah. of that. And and I wonder if it is a lot of um, just Tom because he wrote the movie too, much like how Woody Allen, especially after he became too old to stars of his own movies, he right. would cast these people that basically just playing himself in these movies right. and he'd write them too. I wonder if this Tom Hanks kind of did the same thing here too, because it is actually kind of a, now that I think more about it, like a spot on sort of impersonation of a Tom Hanks in 1986, what he would do with a part like this. And he kind of even yeah. looks a little bit like him. The mannerisms are, are similar to him. That's, that's really uh, that's a really interesting point. <laughs> uh, I, I never I never really thought about that. But yeah, like not only do I love that scene, too, of the everyone running down the street and you see, you know, the they're putting all the, the song on all the radios in the appliance store. But I also just love seeing the evolution of the song and how yeah. it's sort of the happy accidents of they wrote the song. It's sort of a slow song. And then accidentally, the drummer just starts too fast on one performance. I love that and all scene. of a sudden now it's like a dance song. And that's what sort of makes it a hit. And it's sort of fun because, you know, in the beginning of the movie. It's about a one hit wonder band. You sort of know where this is going to go. And like you said, it's very predictable in every single possible way. But there's also, you know, a a sweetness to that. It's like it's just a simple yeah. story of a band who starts out and they accidentally fall into this, have a big hit song and the whole thing disintegrates overnight. But, you know, in the end of the movie, there's a, you know, one of my favorite things in movies when they end with like the photos from the yearbook or whatever. It's like, what happened to these, you know, mm -hmm. like the uh, the Animal House ending or whatever. And all the stories are all have happy endings. Like no yeah. one, nothing bad happens to any of these people. You know, even the, the one guy who is obsessed with being in the army and he leaves the band to go essentially serve in Vietnam, you know, and any kind of other movies, okay, he died and blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, but no, he, he doesn't die. Like no one dies. Like, and Tom Everett Scott and Liv Tyler get together for some reason, even though they don't, it's like for the purpose of the plot. It's like, okay, fine. They have a romance, whatever. No like, sense no why. Sense. <laughs> yeah. That's my thing, right? Like, there's a very, very good movie in here, not to be critical, because it's still very joyous and hey, fun. You can be critical of it, yeah. Which is that I wish they had dealt with the conflict beats just better. It's, just, it's a screenplay, you know? Like, yeah, these things yeah. just don't really add up. I'm happy with even predictability if it's done well and it makes sense. It just doesn't really make sense. But I, I do love that what you said, that everybody gets a happy ending. Yeah, nice. yeah. I mean, I think the screenplay is very, yeah, lighthearted. Kanks' direction is very breezy and simple, and there's nothing he's not trying to be showy no. or overcomplicated here. It's just a very paint-by-numbers story, but I think the colorful production design, the energy of all the young stars in the film, and also yeah. Tom Hanks, I think, does a, a fun job coming in as as their manager in the, in the movie, yeah. and, you know, you he sort of plays... Uh, not like overly nice manager, but not like a mean one either. He sort of understands and knows that this band is not going to last very long. 
but he, you know, he does a fun performance too. And I always love Tom Hanks in a movie as well. So I think overall this, this movie is incredibly sweet and simple, almost like a, a TV movie, but performances and just, again, the, the incredible songs the music is, amazing. is just, is so good, which, which I guess the, uh, the songwriter of these songs was the lead singer of fountains of Wayne and he passed away during COVID. So definitely RIP to oh. him. I think this is some of his best sort of the pastiches of sixties pop, but he does it so well, you you think all these songs are real, but not but none yeah. of them are. Yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. fun fact: this is where um, Tom Hanks's production company Playtone comes from. Is, right, is his movie, right. which is a yeah, fun yeah. a fun little nod. Every time I see that, and if it's like yeah. uh, his, you know, Band of Brothers or like The Pacific, it's like Playtone. I'm like, oh yeah, that thing you do, cool. Yeah, <laughs> that makes me smile just seeing the seeing that uh, company logo. <laughs> yeah, I have to give a shout out to Liv Tyler as well. Like, I had not seen her in a movie in a while, and I was like. She's so good in this movie. She's so good. She has such a... I wish people knew what to do with her because she kind of was at a time where I guess people were not writing characters that, that were fully formed. And But even with the little bit she's given to do in this movie, she makes so much out of it. Her presence is so noteworthy. She pops and has like a lot of layers and textures to her performance, who's kind of the woman, you know, left behind, if you will, and is along for the ride, but is not really noticed, but is still not forgettable. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that. she's She actually stole the movie from a performance standpoint, in my mind. Yeah, she's a great a actress. I or, or just I used to like her a lot in in, yeah. in the nineties, and yeah, I don't know really kind of where her where her career went. I also point out Steve Zahn. I think also does a great job in this too. Is sort of the, the wacky zany part yeah. of the band. I think he uh, this is a star turn for him in terms of starting off on his little run that he had for for a couple of years. But I'm glad you glad you enjoyed it. Glad you enjoyed yeah. it. So let's move on to your number three movie that shaped your sense of joy. What do we got, Karan? Okay, if you're moving to a very different part of the world and time period with my number three, my number three is Sense and Sensibility from 1995, directed by Ang Lee, written by Emma Thompson, an adaptation of a Jane Austen novel, obviously, starring Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet, Alan Rickman, Hugh Grant, a whole bunch of folks. A quick logline, Rich Mr. Dashwood dies, leaving his second wife and her three daughters poor by the rules of inheritance. The two eldest daughters are the title's opposites. What? This is the logline? Okay, sure. The title's opposites. Oh, like the yeah, sense, sense and, and sensibility. Sense they represent each of the... Oh, someone's getting really clever on that little yeah, plot summary not there. The best trying, trying to write their thesis or something. <laughs> <laughs> but this is obviously a classic and I think most people have are aware of the story because it's a famous Jane Austen novel. You know, I didn't grow up watching or even reading, for that matter, any Jane Austen stuff. But I think this is probably the first adaptation of hers that I actually watched. But for me, this is on the list for joy is because of, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, English countrysides and such bring me a lot of joy. They make me really happy. So there's that aspect to it. <laughs> and then I think this the credit goes to the performances, the direction, and Emma Thompson's writing that we've typically known period drama, especially set in the English world, to be stuffy and stodgy, or they can be, versus this movie just has so much of like sense of fun and joy and romp mm -hmm. to it that this this story the way it's i mean the story is timeless there's a reason why jane austen is jane austen but 
it's it's rendition in this movie is just so timeless that you can imagine yourself in it you know no matter what age what time period you might be watching this movie and it sort of transcends so i think that's why like there's so much fun and joy in this movie in terms of coming of age and sibling relationships and you know the mockery of the class system and the weird rules that come with it like all of that brings me a lot of joy and you get to see beautiful english countryside which <laughs> So, so yeah, that's why this is on my list. Uh, great performances. And of course, we'll dive into it. But had you watched this movie? And if so, what did you think of it? Yeah, I had it, but not in so long. And I was so young. Yeah. It, was, it was like a movie probably my sisters and mom were watching at one point. Mm-hmm. Like I remembered seeing the broad strokes of it, but had it actually mm-hmm. sat down as as an adult and watched it. And it, it's very joyous and just such an amazing adaptation of this, this book. And a lot of credit is due to Ang Lee and due to Emma Thompson. And it really did kickstart you know that whole jane austen craze in in the 90s and mm-hmm. i think to just paying attention now to the direction and the different choices ang lee made in this is just amazing honestly like i at the craft of the of this movie and how he brought in modern you know camera movements editing there's like little zooms he's editing back and forth between people during comedy beats yeah. there's handheld camera use at several times in this which I know you love Merchant Ivory. I'm not trying to slag them yeah. off or anything like that, but the Merchant Ivory style is very like, you know, locked in cameras, yeah. you know, very, very, very uh, classic. simple, classic direction. Yeah. And we, you know, we did cover a room with a view a while back for mm-hmm. the travel destination episode. And I remember commenting and, and thinking too, that that movie felt very modern in its performances and in its uh, dialogue a little bit, mainly in the performances, but the direction was not modern at all. And I think yeah. when Ang Lee sort of takes that baton and says, okay, well now we're going to have, yes, more of modern acting styles and, and more, you know, colorful characters, but I'm going to bring it into the direction and make this basically feel like this is a, a modern film set in you know, the, whatever the 17 1800s right and just i'm just so in awe of that how he was able to to make the film seem modern and fresh just through these directing choices and it felt like this could have been a contemporary you know comedy but it could be anywhere anytime yeah and performances too like they're all these amazing making of videos of this movie and the actress talking about how angry would show up and say that to say to emma don't look so old or (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, you know, Kate Winslet, like, you know, you you seem boring and what have you. Because, and, you know, at, at the beginning, they found these comments in these direction notes to be a little bit startling because these mm-hmm. are all like, you know, English actors and here's this sort of foreign gentleman, you know, dealing with almost that's, you know, Jane Austen, which is sort of so classic British. And, but I think it was all by design because the the makers of the movie wanted this kind of fresh take on it. And what Ang Lee was trying to do was to not make this, again, not to throw Motion Ivory movies under the bus because I love them. He was not trying to make that. He wanted right, these people right. to live and breathe as if they were from today. And mm-hmm. that comes through and the performances are amazing. The story is, you know, a classic story, right? Of people coming of age, understanding the value of love and what love even means but all this is happening within the class structure. Mm-hmm. How does money move? How does inheritance move? What sort of agency do women have in this time period? And all of these themes are still very resonant. But I think to me, the most resonant theme of the movie is that of kind of finding love and what love means. And mm-hmm. you really see as the title says, sense and sensibility. In Kate Winslet's mind, love is all about this 
you know, knight in shining armor, somebody who writes poetry, is this, you know, dream bird guy who actually does show up, who yeah. Greg played by Greg Wise, who's yes. actually Emma Thompson's real life husband. So that's kind of a fun thing there. But those scenes are absolutely hilarious and funny and joyous. How the entire family is like fawning all over him, only to find out later that, you know, what meets the eye may not be. Right. He's a the fraud, right thing. basically. He's yeah. a fraud. Well, not a fraud, but he's lying about a lot of things about He's his lying past. a lot of things right, in the right. past. And he's sort Leading of a weak on. character. This yes. whole thing is kind of a put up. I wouldn't call him like, and that's the clever thing about Jane Austen's writing is that people are never black and white. You know, yeah, they're all yeah, gray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody's flawed in there. Even our heroines are flawed in this movie as well. Like Kate Winslet is like, you know, very impulsive, would drop off at the beat of her you know, of anything really. On the other hand, Emma Thompson's character, who's trying to keep the family together, is you know playing sort of the older, maturer one in the family. Now and she's that got the sense, isn't there? And she's, she's got the sense. sense. Exactly. She's got that sense. Yeah, yeah. Not the sixth sense. That's another <laughs> film, but uh, she's very much trapped in that. You know, and is not sort of fighting for her own life and our own love and desires and that's not great either i love her and hugh grant and a young hugh grant's chemistry like we've covered hugh grant in a hugh grant episode previously and this is sort of i guess a the beginning of what hugh grant ends up playing a lot in the 90s a little bit but it's love to see that in the context of this movie this time period just fits so perfectly so yeah this is just such a fun movie the side characters are great uh the older lady and the husband whose cottage these three uh, or four girls and their mom go and live with they're super fun and funny even the quote-unquote negative characters are also kind of a fun romp. Yeah, the so, stepmother. The stepmother uh, is, and, yeah. and yeah, they're, <laughs> again, they're played kind of for laughs, but at the same time, they're not cartoony. It's such right, a right. thin line, right? Because you have to believe into all of this. Otherwise, you wouldn't care, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like the stakes wouldn't matter. And they do matter. They are laugh out loud moments, but you also weep a lot. At least I do in certain scenes as this movie progresses. So yeah, it's it's a great all-around package, if you will. Yeah, I think it's a credit to both Emma Thompson and Ang Lee. Yeah. I mean, having a uh, an outsider, somebody who's not part of British culture, come in as the director, I think yeah. adds that energy of pushing something that was different and not just going after the Merchant Ivory formula in terms of how this movie would be constructed. And I think Emma Thompson also was trying to breathe some modern life into these characters to make them more relatable to yeah. a 90s audience. You know, And I think she succeeds there too. So it's definitely a credit to both of them. And I think in terms of joy too, I mean, the thing you can read into this this movie as well is, is around love and that, you know, Emma Thompson's character, she got the love that she wanted in, in Hugh Grant's character by just being being patient or not mm-hmm. trying to go after it too much. And then Kate Winslet obviously falls for this guy. And maybe it wasn't really love in the beginning. It was more just infatuation yeah. with this perfect prince who could save her. She's fallen down in the rain and he comes right at the right time. And it's almost like too perfect. And it wasn't yeah. really ever love, even though maybe he did love her. And I believe he probably did, but he didn't choose that. He chose to be... He took the cowardly way out and went with someone who he would be able to get the finances from because he was broke. And there's a scene at the end where he kind of goes to the Kate Winslet's wedding and is like, oh, crap, like I made the wrong choice. Like he's not happy, but everyone else in the end of that movie is happy, like the main the main characters, because they, you know, chose chose love and not money, which is a a theme definitely of this movie is those those two things. And 
how in that society, sometimes you have to just choose money because that's just a lot that you're, you're given, but that doesn't give you joy. No, exactly. And Jane Austen is there's no better writer than playing with how money and class and your position in society kind of yeah. weaves through, you know, your moral character, the, your relationships, what actually matters, right? She's always playing with these, the tension between them. We haven't mentioned Alan Rickman, by the way, who also mm. is absolutely amazing in this movie. And a lot of people sort of feel like this is odd casting because he's much older. And, you know, is that a, a good match for Kate Winslet? And, and, and so, but I don't know. I like this pairing quite a bit, I think. I still don't get it. I mean, just I love Alan yeah. Rickman. Yeah. But I'm like this. I don't, I don't understand why she ended up going it feels to the end, period honestly. appropriate I oh, it, sure no it, that that feels and I, i've never read the the novel i've not read any of jane austen's i've only seen the yeah. film adaptation so i don't know what the ages were in the in the book though i'd imagine that was probably accurate because in the, that time you know giant age gaps between men and women were something that and also people normal. looked older you know you look at all the True. movies from the 30s and 40s people who are in their 40s or people who look like they're in their 50s they turn out to be there in their 20s yeah you know? yeah this happens yeah. a lot yeah all the all the smoke and the scotch i think exactly <laughs> <laughs> but i'm glad you finally got a chance to sit down with this movie and as an and adult it. yeah yeah it's it's uh it's great and just again throw a shout out to ang lee just how he can adapt all these different genres he's just definitely a, a great great filmmaker what we should do an ang lee episode at some point i feel like just yeah. covering his career it's a very interesting yeah. one agreed all right. What is your number two movie that shaped your sense of joy? So my number two film is Babe from 1995. This is a film directed by Chris Noonan, starring James Cromwell and Christine Cavanaugh. The plot summary, Babe, a pig raised by sheepdogs on a rural English farm, learns to herd sheep with a little help from Farmer Hoggett. So we're still on the English countryside, I guess. Okay. <laughs> uh, so this this film... And and the reason why I this does bring give me joy is animals just bring me joy and and the <laughs> bomb between human and animal you know in my life it's been dogs because those have been my pets but I, I do feel like a kinship with all of of God's creatures all the all the animals out there and it, it does just bring me joy to see not only these movies and these stories that you're really inside of the world of the animals and it kind of sees things from their their perspective but just the bond that can develop between animals and and humans and how special and unique that is and over the course of this film babe who's the titular pig they start out basically thinking about him as food and they're going to eat him and that is you know he sort of is kind of aware of it and the farmer is, yeah, does not show any love towards the pig and just like, okay, this is going to be my food. And then over the course of the film, there's a relationship that develops where they end up being partners and, and win this competition at the end of the film on sheepdog and the pig is taking the place of, of the sheepdog, which actually is another thing in, in, in that also can bring me joy is this feeling of you having a passion and an interest in something and being able to go out and accomplish that despite what you're the society is telling you your role has to be. And there's there's a there's a scene earlier on in this film where there's a, a duck who, again, to escape being eaten, is basically playing the role of a rooster and waking up the farmers in the morning and sort of going outside of the confines of being, you know, fitting what the role of a goose should be. And he ends up really enjoying it and actually likes the role. And Babe also is is a pig. He's not meant to be herding sheep. That's what the dogs are there for. But Babe enjoys it and is good at it and then gets rewarded at the end. And there's a lot of joy for me in P 
people sort of finding out who they are, they are and what their passions really are and not just what, you know, society is, is telling them to do. I mean, the, the, the dogs, especially there's one male sheepdog who sort of represents the authority and the, you got to stay in your lane type. He even gives a speech and says like to each creature, his own destiny, each creature has his own proper place. Like you're a dog, you do this, you're a pig, you do this, you're a sheep, you do this. And I, I think there's a lot of joy in sort of finding your your own lane and not just being in the lane that's that's given to you so that's something also that i i love about about this film have you seen babe the pig before and uh what are your thoughts on this film i'd never seen it before obviously oh, interesting it as this kind yeah. of you know surprising oscar darling and interesting movie in george miller's career which is you know so diverse in, in so many ways but i'd never watched it because i sort of was like, oh, this is like a kid's movie, you know, with pretend voices of animals and what have you. So I sort of never got to it. And I was, boy, I was wrong. <laughs> and it, It's not really a kid's, it's a kid's movie, really. I mean, it's super dark, but... It's super dark, but also, like, it's just very, very well done. I mean, there's a reason why this movie became so beloved. And mm-hmm. I watched it, like, now. It's, it's an older movie, and I wasn't expecting it to hold up, but it holds up so beautifully. These themes have been done before. There have been so many movies with, you know, quote-unquote more advanced CGI of Mm -hmm. animals being voiced by humans. There are a bajillion of those movies, but there's something very, I don't know, like very pure and kind of craftsman-y, sort of hand-drawn, even though it's not hand-drawn, but it feels Mm -hmm. very tactile and feels very personal and intimate. There's something, it doesn't have like jump cuts and, you know, crazy reactions of things, you know, falling from all over the place. Right movie has like a lot of breadth to it it feels it has like a very delicate hand to it which is not what i was expecting from a movie like this so i loved it for of all the things you said in terms of joy the other thing i would add to that and i agree with what you said but what i would add to that is this feeling of friendship but unlikely friendships and kinships mm, that you see yes. in the movie right yes so yes the female sheepdog who brings in babe because without her babe is probably gone in the right. first 10 minutes right, right. she really adopts him and she, you know shows him the ropes and then later on when Bale starts to discover his passion that he's good at herding sheep there are a few sheep there's one like older sheep who kind of connects with babe mm-hmm. and develops this relationship and I love how they find this language, you know, that herding doesn't have to mean yelling or being bossed around or being, you know, led by fear. It can just be a conversation. It can just be, oh, would you just walk over there? (laughs) And but this happens because there's this older sheep who for the first time gets to express how they feel and Mm -hmm. what they are looking for in terms of direction. So it's a very organic kind of way of developing a new language of how babe and the sheep communicate and you see that just in front of her eyes it's not expository it's not spelt out you just see it happen and unfold in front of you and all of those moments are super joyous to watch so yeah i loved it yeah it's that partnership between animals which now there's all these tiktoks that are like unlikely animal friends and you watch like oh look a bear is befriended like a donkey or whatever it's it's maybe this movie is the inspiration for all these these tiktok videos and and etc but you're right it it is a partnership that forms between the animals too and that that's something that when you think of a a sheep and a pig you don't necessarily think about them as you think about them as the sheep stay in their herds the pigs are in you know the the sty or whatever 
And then there's something fun and just makes me smile when it's like, oh, the animals are all kind of friends together. Like, oh, this is cute. Yeah. Like, I love this. It makes it makes me happy. And and I think with the you were mentioning about the the animals, this movie does a fantastic job of combining CGI in terms of the, the mouths, real so animals well and then incredible animatronics. And I think that mm-hmm. brings a sense of realism and, and t- to these performances instead of now all the all the animals would just be CGI, which sometimes can make it feel a little unnatural and then they have right. to be big exaggerated movements and like uh, more of a cartoon and this felt like real animals i mean yeah their lows are moving so you know that's not real but real more there's a sense of uh reality to this yeah that i think this movie does really well that's good to hear because i that's what i was trying to articulate that it feels very tactile and human and personal and i think that's why we also haven't mentioned james cromwell who i think is so good in this movie oscar he's nominee. excellent yeah like doesn't have much to say but his physicality his you know his expression on his face like all of it is just so clear you understand mm-hmm. his soul you know yeah. right from the get go and you see that progression and the friendship and the kinship he forms with with babe and just the whole farm that he you know runs like it's just all there beautiful yeah. performance no it really is and especially like at the end when they they're in their they're they're doing the sheep competition thing and then the yeah. pigs you know does his good job it's like oh that'll do pig and it just you can see that in the yeah. the sense of joy and, and sort of satisfaction in his face when he's talking to this pig and then there's this great shot of the the clouds sort of opening up and the sun sort of shines down on them which i think the direction style of this is really interesting it does feel a lot like you're you're looking in a picture book which this was based on a book which i yeah. i did read as a kid too and, mm. But it, the way that they frame these these shots feel like uh, drawings in a picture book instead of a movie. And I, I sort of like that there's this otherworldliness to this, even the production design, like everything feels yeah. a little bit off, not in like a in, a in a bad way, but like it would be in a, just an illustration, like a little exaggerated, like you're yeah. reading a kid's book instead of either a super cartoony world or an incredibly like grounded in reality world. It's this really interesting balance, which this movie actually has too. It feels almost like a fable in the sense of there's a lot of darkness to it. Like animals are getting killed. They're talking about slaughter. You know, characters do die in in this film in very realistic and sad ways, but it still is a kid's movie. It's this very unique film. And I think they, the tone of this is what is so hard to pull off. Either you feel so cartoony or it's like so dark and kind of twisted. It doesn't work for kids, but this movie does a fantastic job of doing both. And in the same way, similar vein to a movie we covered in, our last episode, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I feel like they're both. Yeah. It feels like a Roll Doll story almost too. Even though it's not Roll totally Doll, does. the Roll yeah. Doll can do that. Thread that needle. Kind of a masterwork in terms of balancing the tone, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, so why don't we move on to your number two? Are we still on the English countryside? Are we doing three for three here? Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have the English countryside, but I do have English people involved. <laughs> Okay, so okay. That theme continues, I suppose. Continues, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my number two movie that shaped our sense of joy is The Death on the Nile from 1978. Very important distinction. This is not the Kenneth Branagh movie. I repeat, this is not the Kenneth Branagh movie. <laughs> <laughs> so directed by John German. I'm probably ruining this pronunciation. But starring Peter Ustinov, Mia Farrow, Betty Davis, Angela Lansbury, David Niven. It's like an all-star cast, Maggie Smith. But the quick log on the movie is, as Hercule Poirot, 
enjoys a luxurious cruise down the Nile, newlywed heiress is found murdered on board. Can Poirot identify the killer before the ship reaches the end of its journey? So this is on my list, and listeners probably know this from the past, is that I love British mystery movies. I love Poirot, uh, Marple. This whole world is comfort and cozy to me, but also very joyous to me. So I just love that. I will say that we are a movie podcast. If I if I could put TV shows or series, the Poirot BBC mm. series would probably be on the top when it comes to joy and comfort and delight and uh-huh. all of it. But this is the next best thing that I could <laughs> I can put from like a movie standpoint. But yeah, there's something about, I guess, Agatha Christie's writing and cast of characters and Poirot especially is such a fascinating character to me, quirky and odd and unpleasant, but also kind of charming and delightful, but obviously amazing in what he does. I like Agatha Christie's kind of trope of, you know, how something happens and then everybody gathers in a, in a closed space to kind of then, <laughs> you know, go with the reveal of what has happened and all yeah. of this brings me a lot of joy. And I think this movie obviously has all of that, but to top of top it all, it has exotic locations of being in Egypt in this whole area. The, the ship is such an amazing container, if you will, for the murder mystery, but also just visually amazing. And then... As if that were not enough, this is an all-star cast. I don't know if Peter Ustinov is my favorite Poirot. I mean, David Suchet from the BBC series, nobody can even reach him in my mind. Right, he right. is Poirot, like yeah. it just is Poirot. But I like this kind of slightly campy and goofy rendition and interpretation that Peter Ustinov has. But to me, the scene stealers are the three, you know, amazing legends of screen, Betty Davis, Maggie Smith, and Angela Lansbury. They're oh, at yeah. their camp best <laughs> yeah. in this movie. And it's just so delightful and joyous, you know, just watch them, you know, throw digs at each other. They're over the top. They're dressed in their fabulous costumes. By the way, this movie, I think, is an Oscar winner for costumes. Oh. And and it should be. So, yeah. So, for all those reasons, this is very fun to me. But, yeah. Had you watched this movie before? Or what is your relationship with Poirot in general? I've seen the covers of the VHS tapes. At the library <laughs> is is my yeah is my sort of experience with with him and it's not that I don't like mysteries it just was never a genre in any sort of form literary television or film that I that kind of gravitate towards though I do appreciate especially the Agatha Christie formula which yeah. I've seen parodied more than I've seen or, or read the originals so it just always interesting watching movies like this, which is the first time I've seen this one. I have, and I've not seen the remake either. So this is the first time I've just knew about this story. I actually. haven't seen the remake either. And I never will. <laughs> it's, it's interesting going back and seeing something like this, where I've seen the parodies so many times now it's like, Oh, this is like the original story where these things come from. So it was a, it was a fun watch. I think the two things that stood out to me about this movie were the things you mentioned on the locations. I don't know if it was filmed in Egypt, but at least it was filmed somewhere that it looks like Egypt. Okay, so it was actual Egypt. That was really cool. Real locations, real sets, or not not sets, like real like location versus what it looked like. I mean, I don't want to slog off the Brown Eye movie because I haven't seen it, but it looked like that was just everyone in a room with green screen, right? And the cast was just great in this. Like, I was just surprised like how many people 
we're in this. And then remembering, oh yeah, that sort of is a trope of these these types of movies too, especially that the Christie ones where there's like 20 suspects and all of them are famous actors late in their career, like a Betty Davis or famous sort of character actors like an Angela Lansbury. It's just fun to see all these folks in the same movie, like acting against one yeah. another. You know, Mia Farrow, that was funny seeing her, yeah. like David Niven, like all these guys, like all in the same film. So that, that is, that was fun to see. And, you know, the mystery was interesting enough. I, 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 the types of mysteries that I like are ones where this is more so in, in literary works than film where I, as the audience member or the reader, I can figure it out along with the sleuth instead of, you know, the Agatha Christie formula is like, Oh yeah, by the way, there's all these things that I didn't tell you earlier. I mean, they're there, but like, I didn't draw attention or I didn't even mention this, but Oh yeah, this is how like, you know, the main character or the detective or whatever can figure it out. So, you know, the last 20 minutes is basically him in a room explaining all these things right. that you didn't even see. Cause the movie didn't show you this. It's like, okay, well I can't figure it out, but it was fun. <laughs> I can see why this is a specific genre that, you know, a lot of people in the world really love and have, that you gravitate towards too, not only as a sense of comfort, because there is a comfort in the formula yeah. of, of these types of movies, but also just in the execution, I thought it was good. Like it was entertaining enough and felt also big enough for like a movie. Yeah. That it didn't really feel like, oh, this should have just been a mini series or just a PBS or BBC special. Like, no, they, they gave it the scope that, that yeah. it deserved. So it was, it was, it was an enjoyable watch. Yeah, the location and the actors and the star cast and all like really elevates it. That's why the BBC mysteries to me are better because they're tighter mm. and they also spend a little bit more time in character development, especially of Poirot. Like you really get to see his quirks and oddities either exhibited by him and also other people reacting to him. But uh. because they're, you know, biggest stars and things and biggest scope, what gets maybe a little bit shortchanged is all of those kind of idiosyncrasies, you know, that mm -hmm. Para is really known for. And to me, that is so much of the joy of this. It's less about the actual plot or the mystery or who done it. Like, sure, I am interested in that to a degree, but it's right. really more about just Poirot's, you know, wackiness if you will and how other people bounce off of that like that to me is is sort of more fun and then the setting where it's all happening so there are elements of that here for sure but yeah i agree like the latter half of the movie kind of drags quite a bit even though i am very familiar with the formula and i like it it does drag so it's not you need perfect. that though it, it is the formula right it's at the end they have to get him back in a room and be like okay i'm gonna yeah. spend time explaining actually what happened to, I you know, know but part in, of what it's supposed TV, to be in the TV series, not to be comparing to that again and again, uh -huh. <laughs> like that is like five minutes at the end. Oh, know? really? You know, oh, okay. Yeah, oh, you interesting. don't spend that much time typically, you know, this is like a lot, but it's still quite fun. I quite enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a classic trope of this is yeah. that, that you want that scene of the detective be like, actually it was, you know, you might think, but actually it was you and like you yeah. were there and it's like, no, it wasn't me. And then it's like, oh, it is. And then, you know, conveniently oh, yeah. the murderer just happens to fall on a knife or something because the, 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 the hero can never kill the bad guy in these movies, either the, like the, the suspects kill each other or someone actually accidentally falls out a window or something because uh you know the, the the detective is is just a passive observer who pieces everything together they're not like an action star where they're gonna no. arrest yeah. and the person can't get arrested either if for some reason they never trust the law to prosecute they have to always be someone dies typically i mean again i'm not an expert of this genre but when i've seen it kind yeah, of parody it's always like the suspect always you know uh, something happens you know 
they fall yeah, off a uh, dark in this movie but in the typical Agatha Christie movies there is Inspector Jop who's kind of paired with Paro mm. so they they arrest the person typically. oh okay so someone does go to jail okay it's yeah, not yeah. like the Disney villain of like oh I accidentally fall off a, a mountain because the hero can't <laughs> kill the villain the villain has to accidentally kill themselves okay but yeah this yeah. this this uh this was fun and definitely in seeing this movie which again I didn't even know this movie existed to be honest I never even heard of this story until the Kenneth Branagh one came out like Death mm-hmm. on a Nile is that like a real Agatha Christie thing and then I Wikipedia and I was like oh it is so I didn't even know there was this and seeing this movie now makes me more understand why the remake got so much negative criticism even just through the trailers because it just feels like a just a sort of a vapid boring CGI heavy retread of the, 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 they did not bring in the best of the best actors in this also in, in the remake. You know, it's like in this one, it's fun to see. Like I said, all these actors at various stages They're of their legends. careers. They're yeah. legends. This new one, I mean, other than Kenneth Branagh, who he is a legend, but no one else in that that remake was. So it like good. ruins a lot of the fun of movies like this, where you want the ensemble with a lot of interesting actors who've never acted together. Or you wouldn't expect them to be in the same scene as well. There's Betty Davis and and Angela Lansbury, like, how cool is that, you know? Exactly. And then I think it has that kind of 70s movie vibe, right? Like, things are slower and there's yeah. a lot of breath in the movie. I love that. You really kind of get to sit with the location and the people and all of that is great. Versus from the trailer of the new one, which, again, is unfair to even compare to this because they're in, like, totally different leagues. Like, that just feels like jump cuts, you know? Mm-hmm. It feels like a commercial video essentially not a movie at all right the other thing i would say is that also like i find the 1920s which is where most of these agatha christie or like art deco world is where where the uh, where these movies take place i uh-huh. love that setup you know this movie up of course the costumes are over the top because we are dealing with some really over the top people yeah yeah I mean, it's fun though one of the characters angela lasbury's character's name is Otome Salaborn. I mean, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is who we are dealing with. Yeah. But even so, a fun. But B, just even people who are not over the top. I just love the costuming and the style and the lettering and all of that from that time period just is very fun and joyous to me. So yeah, I'm glad you had a chance to check it out. I would say if you're ever in the mood, check out the BBC series and I can okay. recommend certain episodes to you. Like it's just so fun and just watching David Suchet, who basically gave his whole life to, to play this part. Poirot, yeah. Yeah. Over decades. So yeah. yeah. Amazing. And what a, you know, through and through transformation. It's moving to me to kind of watch him do that. That's cool. Yeah. And yeah. I'll definitely, if I'm in the mood for a cozy mystery, let you know which episodes I should check out first. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. So it's time for our number ones. What is your number one, Alex? Yeah, so I'll kick us off on the number ones here. My number one movie that shaped my sense of joy is School of Rock from 2003. This is a film directed by Richard Linklater, a director who's come up a lot on the podcast, but now I'm bringing forth a film from him. I know you've done it several times. (laughs) The, The movie stars Jack Black, Mike White, Joan Cusack, and Miranda Cosgrove. The INDB plot summary of this film, after being kicked out of his rock band, Dewey Finn becomes a substitute teacher of an uptight elementary private school only to try and turn his class into a rock band. So this movie is joyous to me in a number of of different ways. So I'll kind of get into those and we can dive more into the film. So first, it's just the joy of, you know, this movie is about the joy of making music and coming together and putting on a performance, which is something that I've been involved in like a lot growing up. And I love movies and stories where 
it's like the let's put on a show plot line I, I i that gets me every time and i love the end performances when they're then putting the show is on and like it, it always Damn. makes me smile and just makes me just feel feel great so those are my favorite types of types of movies for joy for me and this is a great encapsulation of that there's also a theme in this movie too around breaking the rules and and rebel rebelling against conformity and the man they say in this movie a lot. And there is, for me at least, joy in rebellion or in not following what you're supposed to do. If you want to do something, you're just going to go do it. And a lot of the theme in this this movie is how Jack Black's character sort of teaches these kids who are all just about following the rules. And they're not happy. They're, they're being told by their parents what to do, by their administrator, by formerly their teacher. And they're not, they don't have any joy in their lives. And Jack Black teaches them through the, music of rock and roll which as he says is all just about sticking it to the man fighting power and being rebellious which is what the the heart of that music genre is unlocks joy in them and they all find their place in in the in the rock band but also just in their lives and they they find their passions and things because it's not just about conforming to what society tells you to do and that is something again that that brings me a lot of joy as well and then too and i'll get more into this at the at the when we kind of dive more to the film is just how finding your passion in life and and bringing that passion to others and teaching them about it just brings you so much joy. I mean, Jack Black's character, one of the reasons why I just I love this movie and works so well is he has a very defined character arc, and he discovers in him you know, through a lot of the the things that the story uh, uses as exemplifiers of his character arc, but finds a, the passion that he has, which is to teach and to to work with others instead of think that he's the star of his, his own movie and he's a, he's a lead singer of everybody. Everything's about him. And he realizes it's actually not about him. It's really about what he can give and share to other people. And that also brings me joy a lot too when I'm able to you know, share my passions with others and inspire others to do to do things, whether it's music or, you know, things in work environment, whatever it is, I enjoy, I've never been a professional teacher, but I do enjoy the opportunities when I've been able to do that, you know, whether it's mentoring or tutoring and things like that over my life. And there is a joy in seeing you pass that passion and knowledge on to others. And they just do a fantastic job in this movie with his character arc, which I'll get into a little more later around uh, what Jack Black's able to pull off. So this is one of my favorite movies of all time i just i saw it when it first came out i was a big jack black fan and just blew me away and i still to this day like it makes me smile every time i even think of it uh this movie so it brings me a lot of joy have you seen this movie before and what what are your thoughts on it yeah i feel like this is a fun episode where we had not seen each other's movies in the past and this Uh is again one of them which i'm actually shameful to admit because i love all Linklater movies and Mm -hmm. I, i think i just ignored this movie because I felt from the trailer and the poster what has become Jack Black energy, right? Mm -hmm, Which mm -hmm. you kind of have to be in the mood for. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is just going to be so over the top. And I didn't watch it when it came out. So you sort of, you know, missed the boat a little bit. Mm. It was so fun to watch this movie and sort of go back to where Jack Black energy comes from, actually. Like, this is where it started, it seems, right? Or was he doing this thing before? Yeah, this was his definite, like, this was his, Defining. this is his energy. And right. and I think, and we can talk more about it, too, because I think this is the movie that captures it and uses it in the best way, in the, the most effective way, way in any, uh, any way that he's been used. And I think it has a lot to do with Richard, which which we'll get into in a bit. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, yeah, so you it worked for you, like hit the jackpot. It totally worked. It was so so well done for all the things you called out. 
music and sharing and mentorship. But what I also love is, which is again, you know, it's linked later, right? So a movie like this in a lesser known director or writer's hands would be very prototypical. You know, people would be painted in sort of glorious black and white mm -hmm. uh, light, which to me is never a good sign because it's not real. People aren't like that. So you see all the sides where Jack Black is quite annoying. He is yes. destructive to mm -hmm. himself and people around him. And it's not just Mike White and Sarah Silverman who are there, his friends, who can be viewed as, you know, quote unquote annoying, but they're also trying to get by life, you know, mm -hmm. and Jack Black is, is not helping at all. Like he's just like squatting in their place and is pretty destructive to his friends and his life and is very self-centered. He's kind of a schlub, doesn't he put is. in the work, mm -hmm. wants stuff handed over to him. And you need that for a, like you said, his arc to kind of really flow through the movie. But for us to kind of believe in all this, right? Like this is not some glorious tale of somebody who came and saved the day. Like this mm -hmm. is somebody who is finding himself as the movie goes on. So I love that. Number two, all the kids in the movie are amazing just at from a performance standpoint, but also how much depth and character they're giving given in like little scenes. Like everybody mm -hmm. has their own thing. They come from different backgrounds. Like today, if this movie was made, I kept thinking this, that, this movie, in a way, is ahead of its time, if you if you will, because it's a very racially diverse group of kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's not underlined in like a, you know, phony kind of way that, oh, we have like a racially diverse set of kids and everybody right. is perfect because they are from so-and-so background. No, they're just kids mm -hmm. and they come from everywhere and they mm -hmm. all have their hangups. They all have their annoyances and what have you, and they all have to be pushed in certain ways, but they're also gifted in certain ways. So, you know, it, it just doesn't even go there and kind of overcomplicate things in that sense. It's just very simple. They're just kids, you know, and I love that. And then I think the last thing I would say is that Joan Cusack was always amazing in everything. Great. Yeah. Her and Jack Black's chemistry and also, you know, her as kind of the marker of the quote unquote, you know, prim and proper right way to do things. The man is great because yeah. yeah. she's also human, you know, like she's also just following the rules and doing her best. But there is like a wilder side to her. And at the end of the movie, she's cheering for the kids as well. And I love what an odd couple and chemistry they have in the few scenes that they share there's like a light flirtation there's mm -hmm. a lights you know seeing each other for who they are like it's just so well written and beautifully performed and the music is great and you're rooting for everybody by the end of it so this is a, it's it's a perfect number one alex I love oh it. thank thanks i mean i just love this movie and, I, yeah. and i'm surprised just with your fan of being such a fan of richard that you hadn't yeah. kind of come to this but i think this is in my mind his is my favorite movie of his by by a country mile and it's just interesting that he's able to take a lot of his sensibilities especially on the direction into making this movie work and i think again just talking about jack's box performance he has a lot of passion and energy and I think joy too and anything that he does. But a lot of times it's almost too much and movies don't know how to contain him or direct this energy. Yeah. And what I think that they do so brilliantly in this movie is a lot of these, these parts where Jack is just unleashing his energy <laughs> is just a single shot and the camera's not doing anything. You're just letting him operate in this environment. They're not adding any 
editing into it, cutting around his energy. Just he's there just doing his Jack Black thing. Whereas the, maybe the camera's slowly panning back. There's a scene where he is telling the kids what the song that he had wrote, wrote about that he wants the band to perform. It's all about himself. And this is before he completes his arc. And he's there sort of like singing the song and doing his scat singing. He's like doing all that. And all the camera is just one shot and just slowly pulling back. Because it's it's, Richard knows, like, look, this guy has so much energy. He's going to fill the frame. I'm not going to do anything here. I'm just going to let him go. And there's another great scene, which is one of my favorite ones too, where he's teaching the kids. Eventually they're doing like smoke on the water. And they're teaching mm. he's teaching them each of their their parts. And again, the camera just slowly moving around as he's doing this. And they're not like create the humor or the energy through anything filmic techniques. They're just letting Jack do all of that because he has so much energy. They don't want to they don't want to contain that. Right. And I think that is just so, so brilliant. And w- that's why I think Jack works so well in this movie, because I mm-hmm. let Jack be Jack, not try to change you know what his natural energy is which is just this i mean i've been following him since high fidelity we talked about that movie before and then he's also in a band tenacious d that i was obsessed with in college and it's the same crazy like he you know get does these like overly exaggerated you know guitar solos and moves and is like very crazy songs and gets all this energy and it's i love that about about him but it's hard to kind of make that work in a mainstream film and i think richard does that so well and just how he captures jack black's energy and it's so it's so great i I totally agree and there's nuance in that where the movie knows that this guy is kind of a joke but at the same time doesn't judge him for it you know like there is kind of a love and adoration for who this person is just the way he is which sort Mm -hmm. of is the message of the movie too because jack black he also takes each of these kids at face value you know i love every interaction that he has with the kids to kind of bring him out of their shells. Like the Asian guy who's sort of such a heartbreaking thing. He says that, you know, no one talks to me. I have no friends and and such, but he's like, no, you're the man, you know, you're amazing (laughs) at what you do. Same goes for the black girl who it's hilarious. She's like, what do you, she's like, I don't want to do this. She's like, what do you want to do? Security? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause she's like bigger. Yeah. 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 And she's like, no, I want to sing. And then she like belts out this whole Aretha song and yeah. it's like absolutely incredible and the way it's captured and the way you see the brilliance of these kids and the dimensions of these kids through Jack Black mm-hmm. that's sort of the winning power of the movie definitely and it's just so pure the reactions that you're getting from him but at the same time like we said earlier he's no saint either because no. as the band starts to get together he's like oh i'm going to use this to get my thing mm-hmm. my own song mm-hmm. so it takes a lot for him to get to a place where he's like no actually the little kid he's going to do the lead song and it's going to be his song right not one of my songs mm-hmm. and i love seeing the parents the crowd as well who are so proud of their kids. They didn't even realize that their kids were so talented and and such. So no one is a bad person, actually, because by and large, maybe I have like a optimistic in my dotage point of view that (laughs) people are just, you know, slaves to kind of whatever thing they're trying to do. Yeah. And sometimes they just have to be shaken up a little bit to see beyond the horizon, if you will. And and this movie does that in a very non-preachy, fun real grounded kind of way definitely and this is another movie trope of a conformed society where a crazy like so off the wall character comes in and shakes it up so everyone can which is also a a plot that i love and that that is about the 
those characters come in and they bring joy by bucking conformity and expectation. It's like, look, you do what you want to do. And the other thing that I think this movie does so well too is yes, it's school of rock and it's a band and they sing a song and they put on a performance at the end. But there's, there's a great sequence in the film too, when, you know, they, he chooses all the, okay, you play bass. You're going to be the, the lead guitar. And then the rest, it's only like six members of the band. So the rest of the class, like, well, what are we going to do? Like, we're just going gonna to be the audience. It's like, no, you're going to be the lighting guy. You're security. You're the manager. You're the costumes. And it, and and they don't, he doesn't yeah. do that just as a, oh, you're, well, I'm going to give you busy work. They all important. everyone come together. And I love yeah. too, at the end of the movie, during the performance sequence at the battle of the bands, you see it cuts to like the guy on the computer. He's like, he's doing his laser show and the, they're putting right. the smoke on there. Like, you know, the, the manager and the security. And like, you really see that this really does take a village. It's not just about the band. It's about everyone and everyone finds their place in this, in this performance. And one job is no lesser than the other. And I, I love right. that too. It really brings everyone together in that solidarity. And, and just one other note that I, that I love that I really noticed over the years and watch this film. I've seen this plenty of times is how you, they really do a great job visually of kind of nailing Jack Black's character arc. And at the very beginning of the movie, he's with this band and they're performing and Jack Black is, thinking that he's the star of the show. He's overly, you know, theatrical. And then he does a stage dive and no one catches him and he plants himself on, yeah, the, on the ground. It's like, yeah. this is not working. At the end of the movie, he's performing a song written by somebody else. Yes, he's the lead guitarist and he's singing some of the vocals, but it's then it's entire band and he does a stage dive and he's, he's caught. And it just shows that now that he's able to move his ego from it and he finds the joy in, in sharing his, his passion with others by inspiring them instead of sort of shoving down his his performance down their throats. It's just it's such a wonderful kind of a visual representation of how oh. far this character's come from the beginning of the movie to the end. It's sort of like starts and ends with a stage dive and he's, yeah. you know, carried by the crowd. And I just love that moment too. It's like, he really, he's found his place, which is there's, yeah. there's a lot of joy in that too. He's, he's able to find where, what he's supposed to do, which is to be, to be a teacher. And yeah. also I love too, so much the end of the movie during the credits which is another thing I, I just love when they do, you know, credits over like a performance in movies. Right. And it's just Jack Black there with the kids doing this great ACDC song. <laughs> and you can tell it's not acting from anyone. No, like they're just real. hanging out. Jack's having yeah. a good time. The kids are saying, he's like, oh, do the solo here. And the kids are, because they all can actually play. They found incredible yeah. actors who can do all these parts. And you can see the sense of joy just in the fact that these actors just loved hanging out together and there was yeah. a real connection and camaraderie there. It wasn't just they're acting the parts. They really love singing and love performing and love rock. And it's, I love that end credits. I sometimes I just watch that on YouTube of them just kind of um, jam, jamming out. It's so, it's so awesome. It's so infectious. So and it's, I guess I was going to say, as you were saying that is that it's kind of meta in that sense that movie sets can also be this way, right? Yeah. It's yeah. People come in having fun and, and not, I mean, I don't know Linklater personally, but that's the kind of guy he feels like. He's kind of a mensch, right? Like he's yes, this yes. mentor and brings people together and discovers young talent, but is not like authoritarian and preachy, lets everyone breathe and find what their unique thing is and advises them, you know, in a way that feels authentic to them, but doesn't push them. Right. There are no like mind games and tricks happening to bring out, you know, the weird best in people, whatever. No, it just feels like a very happy, organic environment where people get to discover and shine. And if it's meant to be, it will be. You right. Know? And yeah. It's so yeah. great. That school, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> has paid off with all these amazing actors and actresses that have come through the Richard Linklater school. Mm -hmm. of rock 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of some of these actors are now, you know, yeah. Miranda Cosgrove is a huge star now because, you know, she was I don't know if yeah. she was discovered in this film or not, but she does a great job in, in, in this performance. But yeah, I think it is a lot to like I said, Richard Linklater. And I think the Richard Linklater plus it's Richard Linklater more laid back kind of let things happen. And the Jack Black energy, I think are just a, it's just a winning combination that yeah. Jack has never been better in a movie. Other, maybe High Fidelity. But that's a very specific, like under, um, you know, co-starring role. But this is just, you know, his his crown achievement as a as an actor. Totally. Love it. I'm glad you're finally able to rock out to the School of Rock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Karan, let's go to your number one movie that shaped your sense of joy. Another musical movie, right? Yep, we are staying on theme. In fact. Very similar setups, if you will. So my number one is Sister Act from 1992, directed by Emil Ardolino. Emil Ardolino. I hope I'm saying that right. Starring Whoopi Goldberg, Maggie Smith, Harvey Keitel, and a great cast of nuns, <laughs> if you will. Quick logline, when a nightclub singer is forced to take refuge from the mob in a convent, she ends up turning the convent choir into a soulful chorus, complete with a Motown repertoire until the sudden celebrity of the choir jeopardizes her identity. That's a pretty good logline. Yeah. So this is kind of a classic. I mean, it sounds like the way School of Rock was for you. This has been in my rotation canon since kind of the beginning of times. I, I can't remember a time where I've not been aware of this movie for some mm -hmm. reason. And I think it's sort of similar to what we were just talking about the School of Rock. It's music. It's an odd duck who's maybe selfish and kind of stuck in their life, enters this very opposite kind of environment from their own predicament and their own situation and this clash. And then through that clash, they discover common ground. And in this case, the common ground once again is music mm -hmm. and that bonds this this whole group of odd ducks together there's some hijinks and and then there's a great performance at the end that you know wins hearts and and things but it's peppered with Whoopi Goldberg who I think is amazing and we've covered a few Whoopi movies in the past that uh -huh. I've brought like the associate I think this is probably in her pantheon of movies in my mind like whenever I think of Whoopi I always think of Sister Act mm -hmm. nobody does feeling irritated and uncomfortable better than Vopi. <laughs> this is the faces she makes yeah. and the quick jab she has and it just makes me so happy always. But you get to see like a kinder, tough love side to her in this movie. And the real joy of the movie is just seeing all these different nuns who've all had their own stories and, you know, lives and such come together, find that passion just the way you were talking about in some of our previous picks and come together find more meaning in life and and band together and even the quote-unquote bad guy maggie smith in this movie you get her side as well like mm -hmm. these movies you know once again like school of rock this movie can be kind of superficial where you don't really buy the conflict because the characters are not grounded enough or they're too one-dimensional. That's not the case here. Maybe the writing may not be as elevated as, say, a Richard Linklater movie is, but the performances do the work, I think, to kind of really 
ground everybody and make them three-dimensional people. And then the last thing I would say before I throw it to you, and then we can dive in more, is that this movie is shot in San Francisco. And this church where the movie takes place is like a few blocks away from where I live. So I'm very really? familiar with just the church. I mean, oh. the outside setup of, of the church, what the streets they showed, that looks like a different place. Or who knows? Maybe this is how it was back then. It's probably a back um, lot, potentially. Like the scenes probably. where it was all like the rough neighborhood, like that yeah. looks like a back lot to me. Probably, yeah. Although, you know, San Francisco is going through some interesting changes. So who knows? That's true, yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, it's this movie now, it's so weird to me after watching this movie growing up. And to be now living so close to where this church is, is kind of a fun little gag. Like I go yeah. for my, my my walk or my run and get coffee and I see this church and I always, you know, think about this movie and its songs. I, you watched I, this movie before? Yeah, I had. I saw this as a kid and I loved yeah. it as a kid. And it's uh, it's, it's funny, actually, watching this and then School of Rock, I, wa- I rewatched them both in the same week and they are essentially the same movie. I feel yeah. like it's the same. <laughs> there's a liar revealed storyline. It's the crazy, you know, sort of a wild card thrown into a situation and then through the wildness and then through music. And there's a yep. big performance at the end. You know, this person teaches everyone else to loosen up a little bit because loosening up yeah. is, is good. And it's they're both they both work so well at that, I think. And both of them are starring a very you know specific comedic actor and how they like to perform and i think this for me is a signature whoopee role i think this really put her on the map as the a big star in the in the 90s for like family comedies it was really due to her performance in this which she does such a good job in in this film and this film not only just with her but as a lot of the side characters much like in school of rock 2 where the kids it's like Catherine and Jamie is just infectious as, as that nun. And, and then the other sort of more um, closed off kind of quiet nun who then she gets the big solo and you just love watching all these characters. The older nuns are so so cute. cute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, there's something joyous in watching people kind of like loosen up, discover their passions, sort of more quieter reserved nun. I mentioned, you know, she's like, Oh, I just always wanted to just give something to the world. That was just mine. Like to be able to give my joy and my energy out to the world. And there is, there is a joy in that. Uh, It's, but then also joy in seeing somebody do that, like open up and then find their passion. And you see her at the end and she's just amazing. And everyone's loving, you know, her voice is so great. And she's able to come out of her shell through music. And there's a joy in finding yourself through that. And I think this movie does such a, such a great job with that. I mean, the, the actual, plot is a lot more cheesy and sort of convenient than like Google Rocks. Oh, he's a substitute teacher here. Is like there's like a mob hit gone wrong right. and she's got a but, but that's silly. Hey, it's that. silly. I love that too. That's why it's a yeah. silliness to it that that makes it fun. Like it's it's totally unrealistic, but oh who cares? Like just get whoopee yeah. in a habit in a in a in a nunnery. Like that's the plot's like how do we do that in a way just to get her in there because at that point this movie's gonna be great. And I sort of think there's a there's a fun that yeah there's a cheesiness to that that works for me. It's always smiles when I see like that part of it like the you know the Harvey Keitel mob boss stuff. I'm like oh this is just so silly but it, hey it's it's fun. It's it's it sort of works on me. And then all yeah. the gags of like oh this she's a nun even though she's not a nun so we can't really kill her or do things to I her. I loved that part. I love yeah. all of those bits. <laughs> and then how like all the nuns like guilt trip the guys to kind of you know rent the jet so they can get to vegas like all of those things are amazing also you know the other fun part about this movie is that kind of like with some of the other movies that we talked about like don't don't read you know the book based on its cover like Mm -hmm. we don't spend that much time in our lives unfortunately thinking about 
who these people are, meaning nuns, like what their lives are, you know, yes. what they what their routine looks like, how are they with each other, how do they view the world? And again, it's it's a movie, it's not a documentary, but I love sort of showing in a very casual way, like who these people are, what their day to day looks like. I kind of love that. I mean, they could have done this in any setup, but it's it's specific like choosing this setup to kind of shed light on people that we don't often think about. So there's an instant kind of curiosity from the audience standpoint mm -hmm. that you want to learn and you want to see what happens. Like when these nuns follow Whoopi earlier in the movie at this bar, oh, and yeah. they're playing with the jukebox and such. And you're like, oh, actually, you know, these people had lives before they came here. They, right. of course, have tastes and love music and like to dance and do things like they're just not people you know with none of those human aspects so i love that the movie brings all that to the forefront no no me too and it's interesting as well in a movie where could have been mocking of the the, the role of a nun religion yeah. in general like it very easily could have made fun of all that but there is a yes it's a comedy but yeah. it doesn't ever poke fun at the nuns for being nuns it's, it's more just a classic like oh you guys are too uptight it's not doing anything specific. And it, and this rewatch too is interesting just seeing how the religion is in the church. Let's so say like the Catholic church in the beginning of the movie was something that was whoopie was like, a didn't like it. And it was like oil and water. And, yeah. you know, and they show a, a, her growing up and, and not enjoying the Catholic school and always being the rebel and pushing back. And then even mm -hmm. she has a relationship with Harvick. I tell the mobster who is married, I believe, or has a other yeah. girlfriend. She's like the other woman. Know. And he's going to run off with her, but then realizes, oh, the church says I shouldn't do this. This is a sin. So the church is actually ending her like romantic relationship. Like the, the church in a way is is doing all these things to antagonize it. like the, the antagonist in the film thematically. Mm -hmm. And then once she goes in there, all of a sudden now the church actually, like you were pointing out earlier, saves her life in the sense of these, yeah. these hitmen are about to kill her. And they're like, wait a second, you're a nun. Like we're not going to do it. So when she's, when she now lets that into her life and realizes this is not a thing necessarily that is that I should be pushing against, like the church kind of saves her literally, yeah. but then also thematically throughout this film. And I thought that was just an interesting way to weave the religion themes into this movie without making this be like, Oh, this is, you know, like nuns on the run, which is a famous eighties comedy where it's, right. it's not about the religion. It's more of the, the psych gags and, Oh, these are guys that are pretending to be nuns. Like, I just like how this movie, there's a sweetness to that too. I'm showing, yeah, there is a joy in what these nuns do. We're not yeah. belittling that. It's just, they need to loosen up a little bit and maybe, you know, sing some more uh, recent songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then on Whoopi's part, her arc is that of, you know, kindness and responsibility and open-mindedness like where is her life going before right no and yeah. maggie smith points that out like last time i checked like your your music career is is in the dumps right uh the guy that you're in love with you're the other one the other one in, in his life and he's gonna dump you and now he's after your life like that's right. where you're at let's just be very clear <laughs> of where you're at you know and by the end of it, she finds purpose and takes accountability of her own actions. And she's never really used her gift of music in a big way either. You know, she's and that I love that. Like same with Jack Black. These are rebels characters for rebels sake. Like what is that giving them? It's more of a cover of to their laziness or the poor choices that they made mm -hmm. and you know being non-conformist for like the heck of it like what is the plan here there is no plan right. for any of these people you right. know 
So it's kind of fun to kind of break that to then say, okay, you do have this rebel spirit. Let's figure out how we can channel that in a way that's constructive to you and the society and then formulate the plan. And that could mean you conforming in certain ways. And and that to me is life, right? Like if you're just going to be a rebel, sure, you can do that and maybe some good comes out of it. But usually it has to be channeled in a meaningful way. You know, you can't just be a rebel with no plan, no agenda whatsoever. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not to throw James Dean under the bus or maybe I shouldn't use a car crash reference talking to him, but rebel without a cause, like you're just, yeah. what are you? You're useless. Like I have no, you know, sympathy for characters that just have rebels without it. You need a cause. And yeah. I think both Jack Black's character in School of Rock and Whoopi Goldberg's character in Sister Act start out with rebels without causes but then right. once they find a cause for their rebellion, there is joy in that. Like I was saying right. in the School Rock episode, in sharing that rebellious spirit with people that need a little bit of shaking up. Right. And I think you're you're totally right. Both these characters, too, grow through – they use their rebellion for good instead of just anarchy, for lack of a better exactly. – or, or use an excuse to cover up the fact that their lives are pretty sad. Like Jack right. Black, who doesn't have a career, is late on his rent. Whoopi Goldberg is singing in these – much better singer than she deserves to be in a, like a lounge act in like a casino in Reno. You right. know, like you, you know, you could be doing much bigger things and you think yeah. maybe she could have, but this movie gives her that gift of her, her purpose now is inspiring others to, you know, loosen up a little bit and have a little more fun and, 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 you know, spread the joy to the neighbor. I love that eighties montage, even though it's a nineties movie, but the little 80 right. montage of them cleaning up the town and all the nuns now actually, I love, the, I, lo I love too. in the fact that they, she is inspiring them to leave the, the church and the covenant to go right. out into the neighborhood and spread their joy and help other people mm -hmm. instead of just sort of stay locked up. And there's sort of a, um, you know, she, they're literally coming out of their, their shell, the shell of the, the physical church and Whoopi mm -hmm. is inspiring them to do that i think that i love that sequence when they're all out there and there's a yeah. you know, song it's it's very uh, very very joyous and it makes me very smile every time i see yeah. it yeah yeah they're both kind of pushing each other and then of course the the musical performances Amazing. you know how the choir is so bad how they come together yeah. and the dancing that goes every none the old ones do they all get their own little bits to shine and mm -hmm. I just love just so much of, you know, joy and kind of tenderness to to all of that. It It's it just funny. It, it struck me, especially even in talking about it on, on this this episode, not only just watching the two movies back to back is our number ones are basically the same movie, <laughs> the same movie. and the same themes <laughs> and the same everything. And they're both awesome. And I yeah. love both of these movies so much. Yeah. And Sister Act, I was watching it way before School Rock because it came out 10 years earlier. And it just music and just maybe how music, too, brings joy right. to to our either, you know, both of our lives. Yeah. Totally agree. But we're not singing, though. We're not going to sing on this episode. That, that maybe no? maybe in a future episode, we should do <laughs> one about our love of song and we can do a duet at the end. <laughs> oh, you're tearing me apart since you mentioned a lot of cause. <laughs> so what were some other films that are joys to you, but just didn't quite make the list? So I think food and travel is my other big joy topic. So movies that we've covered in the past, like mm -hmm. Julie and Julia, was on my list some like it hot with oh, fun. like that's an amazing one then all the childhood movies are mary poppins and you know a sound of music that we've also covered on the podcast like they were on my joy list as well how about you for me a lot of movies we we already covered so the entire pitch perfect trilogy we covered right. those again similar perform putting on a show movies music i love that bennett like beckham 
which we covered, and then movies similar to School of Rock in the sense of a kind of infectious, joyous personality in Jack Black. So Pee-wee's Big Adventure with Pee-wee Herman and then UHF with Weird Al. Those movies always bring a smile to my face. And then another movie we covered, Rocky, which is just the joy of the self-discovery that he has and the, the mm-hmm. triumph at, at the end of that film. You know, I always puts a smile to my face, too. But this was a really fun episode. I love when these yeah. more positive themes, you know, it's the holidays, it's a joyous time. And it's nice just to kind of get into these movies, even though they're not directly about the holidays. It right. definitely puts me in the holiday mood because this is such a joyous time of year. I totally agree. And it's a good way, a good reminder that putting on these movies is a good gateway into the joyous holiday spirit, no matter what time of the year it might be. Exactly, exactly. So Alex, what are we doing for the next real episode and our our bonus episode? Yeah, so our bonus episode should be coming out next week on an actor we both love, and that's Bradley Cooper. So we're covering him. He has a big new film coming out, Maestro, that he co-wrote directed and starring in so we're going to cover that film and then also the the bulk of his career and then after that our final actual full episode of the year is movies that shaped our 2023 so this is something that we do every year it's not movies that are our favorite movies of the year but we think back on what did this year represent to us in our lives and what movies best exemplify how we were feeling throughout this year so that'll be a really interesting and fun episode and that'll be our final one of the year before we go into our our break in january so looking forward to that all right well hope you enjoyed this discussion and hope you are getting ready for the holidays spending time with friends and family and hopefully sprinkling some music and good food in that as always we are available on all podcast platforms including youtube where you can also find reviews of each of the movies that we've covered please rate and review us and don't forget to subscribe because all of that really helps you know other listeners discover and find us but yeah until next time happy holidays happy holidays that'll do big